Welcome to the CC Broadcast, a part of Christian Crusaders Radio and Internet Ministries. This week we'll be hearing from our radio preacher, Reverend Steve Kramer, and his message, Valuable Insights from Poor Examples. Sometimes the best example to learn from is a bad example. Today Jesus teaches us some valuable things using bad examples. We begin our service in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, draw our hearts to you and guide our minds with your truth and take over our wills so that we may be wholly yours. Use us as you will, always to your glory. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 23, verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to remove them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven." Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted.
the church, O God, her walls before thee stand, dear as the apple of thine eye, and graven on thy Every once in a while, a news story will come out about a scandal in some church or a Christian ministry in which a popular leader has been caught doing some pretty bad things and has to be disciplined for his or her actions and thinking. Or we sometimes we'll hear of a nasty church fight between members that has them divided, even to the point of splitting up from one another. And we're taken aback and sad over this sort of thing because we know it can hinder the mission of the church by ruining the gospel's credibility in the eyes of an observing world. And we shake our heads and wonder how this sort of thing can happen. But the reason is really rather simple. Pride, ego, arrogance, self-promotion. It's all too easy to become so full of oneself and to become self-promoting to the point that you start losing sight of God's expectations of you. Your vision can become warped and people will get hurt and the gospel of Jesus Christ then takes a hit. Christian speaker Tony Campolo tells this story. A friend of mine was conversing with one of the older women of the congregation following a church service. When the minister's young boy ran up on the platform, stood in the pulpit, and blurted out over the loudspeaker, Hey, look, everybody, look, I'm in the pulpit. The elderly woman said to his friend, You know, his father does that every Sunday. Campolo makes his comment, Being a preacher myself, I know the temptation to use the pulpit as a means of calling attention to one's self instead of preaching the gospel. He's right. I know that from personal experience and my own pride. 
Christian Century uh, had an article that once talked about a problem in the uh, church. It says, as church people, we sometimes assume that we're immune to the temptations of power. We don't make much money. Society gives us so little power that we think ambition, the drive to succeed, achieve, and have prestige and influence over others is a problem only for people in business or politics, not for people like us. We sometimes fail to see how we get caught up for the very noblest of reasons in the same ambitions that motivate everyone else. Eventually, the people climbing to the top of the body of Christ, the church, can look just like those scrambling to the top of General Motors. Often, you can't tell much difference between our leaders and those outside the church. By the way, this doesn't happen just to pastors and church leaders. This can happen to anyone in the body of Christ. It is so easy for any Christ follower to get off track and begin to selfishly pursue the wrong things, to go about flaunting our goodness and seeking the applause of others around us and to seek status and influence over others in the church and pursue our own selfish purposes, all under the guise of, quote, serving God. Such is the case in today's story from Matthew 23. Let's first look at the context in which we find this passage that we read earlier. It's the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry, and it looked to be a challenging week. On Sunday, Jesus had made quite a splash with his entrance into Jerusalem on the donkey. It turned into a wild parade with the crowds welcoming him with shouts of Hosanna to the son of David and cloaks and palm branches thrown on the road before him in, in honor of him. It caused quite a scene at the temple then. Jesus went in and drove out the money changers and merchants who were selling pigeons for sacrifices and the feathers of the religious establishment were quite ruffled and their noses were way out of joint over his actions. Now it's Monday or maybe Tuesday, as Mark's gospel suggests, and Jesus has returned to the temple. And now the religious leaders immediately come and confront him and challenge his authority uh, over what he's been doing and, and saying. They don't like him. And they don't like his ways of doing things one bit. And he, in turn, challenged their ministries and accused them of poor leadership and service as well as rebelliousness against God because of their rejection of him. He told them they were now under God's judgment, which made the Pharisees and scribes even more hostile towards him. They wanted to have him arrested, but they couldn't because of his popularity with the crowds. So... They decided to try to make him look bad before the crowds by asking him trick questions in the hope that he'd stumble over the question and look silly and lose credibility. But their efforts were fruitless. Jesus, as you and I would expect, <laughs> came off looking absolutely brilliant compared to them. At this point, though, Jesus then turns his attention towards his disciples and the crowds who'd been listening in on all this, and he uses those scribes and Pharisees as examples of how not to live their lives before God. And there are some valuable lessons we can learn from their bad example. Jesus opens his teaching by saying about them, he says, do what they say, for they do sit on Moses' seat. They, so to speak, have a place of authority, so they're worthy of respect. And what they bring you from the Old Testament Listen to it and observe it. I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, Jesus said one time. 
But then Jesus goes on to teach some more about them. He says, listen to what they say, but don't do what they do. <laughs> do what I say, not what I do, as parents sometimes will say to our kids. So what are these Pharisees and scribes doing? Well, I see five things here. First, Jesus doesn't say this, but it's plain to see in the previous their previous actions towards him. They're rejecting his authority over them as God's son, rejecting him as the Christ for whom Israel had been waiting to, to save and lead them. Instead, they either tried to ignore him flat or, or they flat out rejected what he had to say about God and living life out as God's people. Now in the church, how easy it is as well to say we trust and follow Jesus and show our respect, but refuse to give him authority and to let him reign over us as we carry out our daily activities and agendas. We put him over on the periphery. We trust him on eternal matters, maybe, but not on daily matters. Second, they preach but do not practice, Jesus says. They don't walk the talk. All they teach about how Scripture teaches us to love God above all things and neighbor as yourself, but they don't love. They're more into taking care of themselves, more into their piety, their personal relationship with God. Next, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. These folks were making people more miserable than anything with their presence and personal expectations of the people around them. Maybe you've heard the saying, there, there are people who light up a room when they arrive and others who light up a room when they leave. They were the latter. Jesus is referring to the extra biblical traditions and rules the Pharisees and scribes had devised around the Torah, intended to make it more relevant to present-day life situations. Lots of applications. It had turned the Bible into a burdensome and oppressive legalism for the people. And instead of helping the people walk obediently in God's ways, these experts in the law were only burdening them. They'd sit back and observe them fail at all these rules and judge them and look down their noses at them, and they wouldn't help. They were holier-than-thou types who just made people feel worse about themselves. And their goal seemed to be to just keep these people in their place, under their control. They enjoyed lording it over others, having people look up to them as being very holy. Fourth, they do all their deeds, their religiosity, praying on street corners, giving their offerings uh, loudly so everyone can see, and fasting with sour faces so everyone knows what they're doing. And they do this all to be seen, Jesus says. They're religious show-offs, chasing after the applause of people instead of God. Their priorities and goals were twisted. He, he said they even make their phylacteries broader than normal. Uh, phylactery was a little cube box made of black leather, which contained uh, pieces of parchment with scripture written on them. And these boxes had straps attached to them that enabled the Pharisees and scribes to wear them on their foreheads and left arms when they prayed. It was a the literal way to obey Deuteronomy 6.8, in which God instructed the people to bind the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might as a sign on your hands and as a frontlet between your eyes. 
might compare it to they, they carry around big Bibles to show off their holiness and wore big gold crosses for all to see their religiosity and played their Christian music uh, loudly. They wear their fringes long as well, Jesus said. These were blue tassels attached to the four corners of a man's garment to remind people to obey God's commandments. The Pharisees made theirs extra long, just for show. Theologian John Boykin points out something really important to us here about them. He says, what was so bad about the Pharisees' hypocrisy? If we think of it as consisting merely in their teaching or pretending one thing while in fact practicing something contradictory, we will miss Jesus' main point here. What he nailed them for was they were using God and the things of God as a means to some other end. That's what was insidious about the Pharisees' example. They do all their deeds to be noticed by others. Theirs was a problem of priorities. Their first priority was social status and applause from others, to which, God, to which end God was but a means to get there. What greater affront to God could there be? Better to ignore him altogether than to exploit him as a means to something else that you value more highly than God. And finally, Jesus said they pursue selfish ambitions. They seek and they love and seek status and the perks of being on top. They want the place of honor at feasts, which is a status symbol, and the best seats in the synagogues and the community gatherings, and, and to be greeted with lofty titles like rabbi or father. Then Jesus, who I imagine was looking at his disciples, who would soon be leaders in the church after Pentecost, said, but you, you guys are not to be called rabbi, father, instructor, master. Avoid walking in those steps that these guys are taking, pursuing titles and perks and trying to lord over others. For you are all brothers and sisters equal before God. And you have one father and he's in heaven in charge of us all and one instructor, me, the Christ. And then Jesus goes on to describe the best way for his followers to live out their lives before God and with each other. The greatest among you shall be your servant, Jesus said. Greatness in God's economy is found in helping, assisting, sacrificing self for the welfare of those around you. It's pouring oneself out for the sake of others, like Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. It's giving up the questions that we often carry into church. What's in this for me? What's the church going to do for me? And Jesus goes on, whoever exalts himself will be humbled in the end, and sometimes even in the present. There's a little fable about that. You've probably heard it. There was a turtle who wanted to spend the winter in Florida, but he knew he could never walk that far, so he convinced a couple of geese to help him. Each one uh, would take an end of a piece of rope while he clamped his vice-like jaws in the center on the rope, and the flight was going fine until someone on the ground looked up in admiration and asked, who in the world ever thought of that? And unable to resist the chance to take credit, the the turtle opened his mouth and said, I did. You see, pride comes before the fall. And whoever humbles himself, Jesus said, will be exalted. 
By who? By God. When? Ultimately in the end. Well done, good and faithful servant. What does it mean to be a humble follower of Jesus Christ? I like the way Tim Keller puts it. He says, it's not about self-hate, and it's not about self-love either. It's about self-forgetfulness, taking yourself out of the center and playing for an audience of one, God. Or Cornell West in Christianity Today says, to be humble is to be so sure of oneself as God's beloved child and one's mission that one can forego calling excessive attention to, to yourself and, sta and the status you're seeking. And even more pointedly, to be humble is to revel in the accomplishments or potential of others, especially those with whom one identifies and to whom one is linked organically. Humility means two things. One is a capacity for self-criticism. And the second feature is allowing others to shine, affirming others, empowering and enabling others. And we can trust Jesus on this. For we know what happened to him at the end of that week, don't we? A cruel death on a cross. He, the humble, suffering servant, took the punishment for your sins and mine upon himself so that we might be forgiven and restored back into an eternal relationship with God. He laid down his life for you and me so that we might have forgiveness and eternal life. He said at one time, my mission is not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And we also know what came next. He was exalted at the resurrection. He is risen. God endorsed him and everything Jesus did or taught. And Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And some great glorious day he will return in majesty and power with the new heaven and the new earth and judge the living and the dead. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confess Jesus is Lord. And trusting in him as your Savior, Lord, and following this servant king down his humble path, we too shall be resurrected and join him in his heavenly kingdom forever. I know of a church that's placed a servant's entrance sign over the door to their sanctuary. I like that. It's a good reminder for every follower of the servant king, Jesus Christ, that this is our ultimate calling as redeemed people in Christ, to serve God and to serve others. And I know it's not easy or natural. Henry Nouwen once said, everything in me wants to move upward. Downward mobility with Jesus goes radically against my inclinations, against the advice of the world surrounding me, and against the culture of which I'm a part. Someone asked, what makes it so hard to serve others? And he said, that's easy. People. Ungrateful, unkind, manipulative, selfish, and sinful people. I appreciate these words of Gordon MacDonald. You can tell whether you're becoming a servant by how you act when people begin to treat you like one. And so we struggle and we fall on our faces at this serving. But don't give up on yourself. Jesus certainly hasn't. He has a plan for your life and he's given you a helper. We serve, you see, not on our own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're not alone. Or on our own in this service. And like Jim Simbala says, humility is a key to experiencing the, the Spirit's power. 
He is present to shape us and conform us into the image of our servant King Jesus Christ. So may our daily prayer be, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, mold me, heal me, use me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. And he will. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Amen. Hi, this is Matt Reister, Executive Director for Christian Crusaders Radio and Internet Ministry. Thanks for tuning in to today's broadcast. We're here to proclaim Jesus Christ as Redeemer of the world and to promote the truth of God's Word. In addition to this weekly broadcast, we want to mention two podcasts which you can listen to for free on our website, christiancrusaders.org, or on our mobile app, the Christian Crusaders app, which can be downloaded from the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. The CC Podcast Daily Dose features short devotions from an overview of the Bible and the CC Podcast Conversations features inspiring interviews with interesting Christians. In fact, here are some excerpts from those interviews. Here's Ron Gruber, a former motorcycle gangster and murderer. But I grabbed that thing, and after I, I got myself psyched to a point, and I mean, I cracked that hammer back and put it against my head, and I, I heard it just like you and me are talking. Don't kill yourself with that gun. You kill yourself with me. This is Christian singer-songwriter Michael W. Smith. You know, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
That's one, that's, and you don't like God to humble you, and I've been there. It's not fun. <laughs> I'd rather do it myself. And here's Michael W.'s fellow Christian artist, Stephen Curtis Chapman. And mm. I feel like when people say, man, your music has encouraged me in my faith journey, it always just reminds me again of how God can use just about anything. You know, he can use Amen. a hillbilly from Kentucky. And here's former Hawkeye and current NFL player, Ike Butker. I just remember running routes. Me and this this one other kid are running routes. I don't like to talk great about myself, but I destroyed anybody that they put up against me. Like, <laughs> I, dro- I didn't drop a single pass. You can listen to those interviews and over 60 others, as well as our daily Bible overview devotion and this broadcast, along with archive broadcasts from former preachers on our website, christiancrusaders.org, or on our free mobile app. Today you've been listening to the broadcast transmission of Christian Crusaders Radio and Internet Ministries. We're one of America's longest-running radio ministries on the air since 1936. We are completely donor-funded, and donations are tax-deductible. They can be sent to 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613, or made online at christiancrusaders.org. Thank you for tuning into this broadcast. We'll be here again next week at the same time. And until then, may God richly bless you.